Hi, everybody. Uh, this week I got to speak with Todd Glass, and it was awesome. He invited me into his home. We talked about George Carlin in general. You'll notice this is not an album episode. I try to. I try, try, try to. And I try to stick to the uh, the vinyl uh, aesthetic, of course. But, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to talk about people's comedy influences. So, um, and George Carlin being one of my heroes and the fact that Todd Glass does an amazing George Carlin made it more than worth it. Not to mention the fact that Todd Glass is really, really funny, has an amazing podcast, and is generally a very generous guy. So um, it's a great episode. Hope you enjoy it. Um, please leave comments, rate it highly, like us on Facebook if you don't already. We've got way more listeners than we have likers on Facebook. Way, way, way more. So, um, yeah, if, if you could, that'd be fantastic. Even, you know, sign up for Facebook just to like us. I, I would ask that you do that. Why? It's a huge inconvenience to you, but you know what it does for us? I don't know, but it makes me feel good as a person. So, yeah, listen to this, enjoy it, and thanks a lot. Take a sip of my coffee. All right. I want this all on there, every right. slurp. Hold that's on, let fine. me get That's fine. Mm-hmm. How long would I do this before you, like, if you didn't know I was kidding? Like, like, let's say you were sitting down with, like, a big, like, who would be, like, I don't know, Robert De Niro, and he does not seem like he's joking. He could probably get away with that for a good five, ten minutes. <sighs> Sorry, I... It's my Robert De Niro presentation. <laughs> I need to, my coffee before I do my interviews. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This week I have, uh, if you couldn't tell already, I have Todd Glass on the show. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you. Um, so you wanted to talk about it. This is not unusual where people are like, well, I don't necessarily have a specific album or I didn't listen to a lot of albums. You know, Normally that's what we talk about, but you wanted to maybe talk about George Carlin and we'll talk about whatever the hell. Good. Your, your influences are all that matter, really. I did. I got a little nervous. I'm like, I haven't really. What the fuck is going on at my house? <laughs> Hold on, that ice maker. Right, we're good. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got because there's not one album for any reason, and it does not mm-hmm. represent my love for comedy because. Uh, I, I I love it. Of course. But uh, I just would like, there were bits and pieces of albums growing up. Sure. Carlin's, I've mentioned a lot, was one of the first ones my brother Spencer mm-hmm. owned. And uh, I would listen to that and uh, then listen to different albums and yeah. album albums. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I, I think so. Albumi, yeah. possibly. What, what is that? Al- one? Albumi. Is that is that how some people say it? I hope not. <laughs> I really do. I hope not too. Um, uh, but definitely, there's been bits and pieces over the years, and, mm-hmm. and now with stuff on YouTube, I can even go back and sure. learn even a little more. Yeah, I, I sort of I, I get stuck having to find them there sometimes because I can't even find them on vinyl. I, I got desperate in, early in the podcast to try and find them. It's just no, there's no point. Oh, you. Oh, in the beginning, you wanted to actually. Mm-hmm. Hence the name of the show. Yeah, I have. I have most of them, but one or two are just so rare. And yeah. yeah. But what uh, what track sticks out when you first think of George Carlin? Then, well, uh, it was it was a lot of different things. One, mm-hmm. just his. You know, it sounds. It sounds. Look, the truth is never bad. <laughs> It, with that one in the beginning, because I was so young, mm-hmm. it was just, it resonated with the way he talked. 
Yeah. And it sounded like his, you know, his, the way he would, you know, go up and down and fuck that, you know? <laughs> and you know what I say? Fuck you. <laughs> like, I liked it. Like, I like this guy. Not that he's cursing. You right. can hear someone curse. And also, I've heard people when I was younger curse and think, oh, that guy's a lunatic, mm-hmm. angry at a deli. <laughs> but it seemed like he knew that he had something to say. And then the, and then all the words, I don't know if that was the one. It's all a mush. You know, the words you can't say. Sure, sure. And then, uh, and then uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. We were supposed to stick to one. I said one album, <laughs> you fucking raw potato. I come all the way to your house to do a podcast, and you think you're going to hop around talking about different podcasts? I mean, different albums. Uh, you can talk about whatever the hell you George want. George Carlin was, yeah, that was definitely the one. And then I'm trying to think early on, uh, but that that was that was that was one that I really liked. And uh, and Rodney Dangerfield, I mm-hmm. was it just it was just you know, here's this older guy, yeah. but he's you know got a lot of great one liners. Yeah, and just, I'll tell you, I mean Rodney Dangerfield, I don't. I don't know that that's leaving such a stamp on the uh, sure. on on this world as you've left mm-hmm. like such a great character right you know yeah is uh, you're not the first person lately actually to bring up Rodney nobody's brought him up before but I'm uh, I think we are going to do one of his albums soon uh, do, so yeah actually yeah, I guess that's, that's what I was going to ask you is that for him is mostly the jokes but for Carlin maybe more the personality or is that too Carlin like what he. I mean, look, you know, now I'm trying now now looking back with a perspective on mm-hmm. it. I mean, Carlin, you know, kept growing. Sure. Now, obviously, if you didn't agree with a lot of his religious beliefs, mm-hmm. it might have been hard to go on enjoying him. If he sure. dabbles into it, yeah. you know, you're like, all oh, right, I don't agree with that. But and then as he got more and more talking about it, well, it's what made me later fall in love with him because okay. I knew he was telling the truth. It yeah, made yeah. sense. Sure. The truth sounds right. Mm hmm. And the truth, no one has to say. Well, you know, it, 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 you gotta, you gotta. Sometimes you don't understand. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to, you know, that not everything makes sense. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Right. A lot of places where you fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to me, when something really makes sense, it makes sense. Sure. sure. And the way he broke it down and everything, I just loved it. And I, I don't even remember what age I was when he really started getting into all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I loved about George Carlin is there was a period in my life where I was like thinking, you know, and it wasn't that long ago. It was like mm-hmm. about six months before he died. I yeah. was thinking about it. Like just coincidentally, I was like, am I, what, what do I do? Sometimes I love talking about, not that often, but mm-hmm. I have some, you could say social jokes. I've made jokes uh-huh. about spanking children and my act the way I yeah. feel about it. But then I'm really silly. So, like, mm-hmm. what do I do? I'm pretty sure I got to pick one or the other. You can't do both. And then I, then he died, and yeah. I was really intense on going around YouTube with a friend of mine and mm-hmm. listening to his clips. And I went, oh, Shit. fuck, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, right. You can be silly. You can be serious. Yeah. And that was just fucking great for me to, yeah. to, to know that yeah. and have that clarity. Like, sure. After doing comedy more than 25 years, I didn't have to decide what I was going to do. <laughs> right, so, right. So for that, George Carlin, uh, you know, really helped me a lot. But I, I, for lack of a better word, adored him when he was alive. I didn't mm-hmm. have to wait till he was dead. Sure. And uh, just for me, what really grabbed me, like I said, mm-hmm. it was his uh, outlook on life. Yeah. And I'm not cynical, and a lot of people would think he was. Right. He might have been cynical. I don't know, but that I'm not. But mm-hmm. I mean, his clarity on sure. some things. Sure. I didn't agree with everything. Yeah, 
I, I also had a very big stance on when he put out an hour every year. Mm-hmm. Some people I heard well, once, like a friend of a friend, they're going, "Yeah, I heard that last hour. It's like Ugh, it wasn't too good." Well, I'm like, "Would you say half of it was unbelievable?" And he went, "Yeah, half of it was unbelievable." <laughs> I go, "Well, it, look, if I put out an hour special and I've only put out three, and half of it's unbelievable, the half's great, and the other half isn't. That blows." <laughs> But if you're putting out a new album every year, every year yeah. or a CD or whatever, mm-hmm. and first of all, the half that was unbelievable was unfucking believable. Right. Whatever percentage of it was to clean it up, <laughs> the, the, he, he, that's the way I looked at it. I yeah. didn't look at it like oh, half. It was like fuck. If forty five percent of this thing that you do is yeah. fucking brilliant, yeah. and the other percentage of it, the other half or whatever, is just okay, mm-hmm. that's a fucking A plus for oh, me. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And that's how I looked at it every every time he put something out. There was enough sure. in there to go. God damn it, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any, uh, you know, any marathon's got its high points, you know, but most of it's just running in place, you know, just running, and it's not exciting. But it's, the, it's those yeah. those points that really stand out. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing about Carlin is that Latter-day Carlin, people kind of uh, uh, think of as cynical because the character got so much darker. But, I mean, I guess you can easily forget they started out as a dude just doing voices on stage with a partner, you know. Yeah, and... and- he came a long way. And also, it's funny, you can't... I think we tend to call people cynical. I mean, yeah, like he had a bit once on golfing, and I remember thinking, God, he's really mad at people that golf. <laughs> I never golfed a day in my life, but I didn't really care about it. But so what? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the, when... The, when he got angry at like the weirdest things, it just I had I loved it. I yeah. remember once he said, "Bad, let's talk about bad hair days." <laughs> you know what I say? Go to work, you shallow cunt. <laughs> Now, if you break that up, what, men don't have bad hair days? Yeah, of course. That's not the thing. The no. thing is, that's the way the joke came out. Right. And it's like, I just love to go to work, you shallow cunt. I'm having a bad hair day. Anyway. Are there other acts that influence, not to totally sidetrack, but other acts that influence you as far as, you do a lot of voice work. So, I mean, you know, just in general. So, is that is there any other? Because he had, that's a lot of him. Like, just switching from voice to voice. I mean. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you mean him doing his, all his voice? Yeah, his yeah. highs, his lows, his different yeah. accents. I mean. There's this, there's that, and fuck you, fuck me. Um, uh, I would, I, real quick, I, I would have loved if uh, he could have been around a lot longer because yeah. I, I think we, we could have got to the point where he would have, and the, and the hardcore fans would have loved it. Mm-hmm. He would have been like, and you know what? Fuck you for coming out to see me because you can't entertain yourselves. Go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> and I would have loved that yeah. too. Uh, say, what was your question again? Oh, no. I mean, was there anybody else who influenced you as far as like voices? I mean, I know your act isn't a voice act, but you do have that dynamic when you're delivering. So, uh, you know, Rodney, uh, definitely sure. Don Rickles, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the voice. You know, a lot of times it was like, I remember, I'm trying to think of. Well, like when I started doing stand up, what I call it, there were the, there were the old school guys mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the legends, the living legends. Sure. Well, to me, even back then, it felt like, well, Rodney and mm-hmm. Don Rickles and mm-hmm. uh, Alan King. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they were the older guys to me. I don't know how old they were, but. And then there were the newer guys, mm-hmm. the young guys that were coming on. And that, for me, that was like, because they were already established when mm-hmm. I was 18. Yeah. Uh, like Jerry Seinfeld. Sure. Gary Shandling. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Mike Binder really? on uh, Make Me Laugh uh-huh. and loving him, and also uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Mm-hmm. So there was the both, both, both of. Well, 
You know when you're in the middle of a sentence and then you're like, I got nothing. Hey, if you've ever heard this podcast, which I know you haven't, uh, anybody who listens is used to me doing that about ten times an episode. <laughs> it's all it's right. really okay. You'll hear me just say, fuck, I, 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 my brain stops. Just space. Yeah, it absolutely happens because I get into what people are saying. Um, the uh, – and here's where it happens for me I, I too. So it's happening at the same time. One, one other thing, and that will give you a chance to recollect your thought <laughs> and then I'll probably forget what I'm going to say by the time I'm done <laughs> prefacing it. Uh, I, I th- also think what I loved about comedy was – you know, comedy, you, you know, it, you can tell the truth and get laughs mm-hmm. and get paid. Yeah. So you're inclined to tell the truth. Now we're talking about good comedians. Sure. Yeah, comedians that aren't good, ones that take advantage of, you know. So so I just, like, I think they're like, you know, a lot of comedians are truth tellers. Mm-hmm. They get, they, think about it. I mean, yeah, there's always a glitch in everything you could say, but I think there's a, the bulk of what I'm saying here has some guts to it. Sure. And that's like, yeah, they can, if you decide. Now, there's comedians that are brilliant that don't do that with their voice. Yeah. That's a different thing. Sure, Guys sure, like sure. Steve Martin, who are obviously, you know, way ahead of his time, a, mm-hmm. a term that is so overused. He was mocking the conventions of stand-up, mm-hmm. you know, 40 fucking years ago. Yeah. At least yeah. that's how it felt to me, no, like absolutely. in hindsight, going, oh, yeah, he was playing with the conventions 100%, of it. Yeah. And, uh, so there's that. that they're not. But I'm talking about when you want to use your comedy for, like, you know, to political or yeah. social or whatever, um, you, you, you're paid to tell the truth and you get paid. You get mm-hmm. paid and you tell the truth. So why wouldn't you? So I think a lot right. of the good comedians like that are truth tellers mm-hmm. because it's almost the opposite of what politicians are you know sure. it behooves them to lie of course of so course. i always when i hear at a very young age i did what, what comedians said resonated with me not even when they were talking in their act if i saw them on a talk show and they happened to be talking about something else or weighing mm-hmm. in on something yeah i always thought they really fucking seemed to nail it for yeah. me yeah yeah, yeah yeah did you did you ever get to meet carlin I didn't get to meet George Carlin, and 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 like you know, a lot of my friends. He was at the Magic Club one night. We uh-huh. should go over. Uh, one of one of my friends. It just I I, I asked uh, one of my friends who had opened for him a little bit. You know, of course, what's he like? And always sure. everybody I knew that had ever opened for him once or twice or a lot always said he was nice. Yeah. And, um, I remember. I don't even remember his name. It was a comedian I was working with. He had opened for him. I'm a little embarrassed now, but I said, what was he like? He goes, well, I just, he came into the green room like 20 minutes before the show and he walked in just real casual and he's like, what's up, cocksuckers? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's all I need to hear. Holy shit. <laughs> what's up? What's up, cocksuckers? That's amazing. Um, did that, like, if you're a George Carlin fan, you're like, that's all I want. That, that's yeah, everything I want yeah. to imagine, he would say. Of course. Did you, uh, do you remember maybe the first time you ever met somebody else in comedy before you were in comedy? Or did that happen? Or did you just out of curiosity? The first time I met comedians that were like, were when I worked at the Comedy Works in Philadelphia. You know, before okay. I did stand up. Oh, no, 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 no. I wanted to meet Don Rickles and I got there early and. Uh-huh. You know, I was probably the only 15-year-old waiting behind the Valley Forge Music Fair to try to say hello to Don Rickles, you know. Holy shit. Um, but uh, when I started doing stand-up comedy in Philadelphia at a place called The Comedy Works, mm-hmm. the owner, his name was Steve Young, and uh, he, you know, uh, I went there every week to see acts. Before mm-hmm. I did it, I yeah. went every week, and I would wow. see, like, Stephen Wright, and I'd see... You know, even at that point, when you saw Jerry Seinfeld, they were special events, like yeah. at the comedy club. Okay. So, but but they were still there. They yeah. were still working clubs. It was just a special event. Like normally to see just regular acts that are great, but they don't have a name. Mm-hmm. It was it was like eight dollars, okay. and you'd see you know Stephen Wright or Gilbert Godfrey That's or awesome. or um, 
uh, the, a, lot, a lot of people, you know, um, can't mention anybody. Right, I can't think of anybody right now. But uh, but then the special events would be like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld mm -hmm. or, or, or Gary Shandling or Jay yeah. Leno. And uh, so I was working at the club at that point, doing open mic nights, but then also working at the club. Okay. So then I got to meet a lot of people that I would see on television. And, sure. And you know what? The majority of the time, mm -hmm. super nice. Yeah. Um, at worst, just to themselves, I don't remember anybody being uh, a dick. Mm -hmm. I think you should save someone. Say, you know, a lot of people, you know, my ah, oh, he's a dick. I go, well, look, I, I'm all for if someone's a dick, for lack of a better word, to be able to go, that guy's a fucking asshole. But I don't put just to themselves in that category. Right. They might not be super friendly. They come to the club. They do their own thing. Mm -hmm. But they're not assholes. Right, right, right. That Maybe some guys like that. But mostly, so to meet, like... Uh, Paul Reiser, I've said this a lot, he was our favorite. Like, because mm -hmm. he was fun and he came and he wanted to hang out. So yeah. he had just been in Diner. Okay. And then he was coming to the club and he was super nice and super friendly. And uh, so guys like that. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld was actually very friendly. And I liked, I liked uh, watching him work every night. And That's so cool, though. Yeah. There, there were Jay Leno. I got to. I remember we had to pick Jay Leno up at a club in West Orange, New Jersey. So he wasn't mm -hmm. going to fly. Okay. So how's he going to get right. there? So our club, the Comedy Works, sent an employee to go pick him up in, I think it was West Orange, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I got to go. And my parents, I, went, I took my parents' station wagon. Awesome. And I told my, it was my friend's. Uh, why am I forgetting if one of my brothers was there? It sounds like I have a, a early Alzheimer's, <laughs> but I don't. Um, uh that uh, to not say anything stupid when Jay Leno got in the car, because right. I, I was the I got you know I know I'm a, I'm a seasoned comic here. Right. I know what to ask him, and I told him like a lot on the way there. And then Jay Leno got in the car. He's like, Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah. He goes, Oh Jesus, this is a. He looked at my parents' station wagon. Uh -huh. He goes, A place in New York like this, it costs you three grand a month this size. <laughs> And then uh, I asked him the stupidest question in the world, and then he, all my friends, my two friends in the back, start cracking up laughing. <laughs> and then he goes, "What were they laughing at?" Now I either had to say what they were laughing at, yeah. or make him think we were laughing at him. Right. I said I shrugged my shoulders, bowed my head. You know what I mean? Like I was driving with no. I went. I asked them not to ask stupid questions. <laughs> he went. That's ah, okay. He goes. You lowered the curve for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sport. That's a, that's that's a good fucking sport. Oh my God! Uh, you know what? I haven't asked anybody this because I don't get as many stand-ups uh, on the show. Uh, can you distinctly remember your first time on stage and what that did to you? Oh, exactly. It's got to. Yes, you got to. I don't remember the jokes, yeah. but I remember it was uh, again the comedy works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, you would always hear that announcement. Hey, and if you think you're funny, come on down on Wednesday night and give your hand at comedy. And at that point, I'd been going up to like bars yeah. and doing like Rodney Dangerfield's act, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, they telling jokes and and getting laughs. I guess apparently not everyone had his album. Yeah, I remember one kid in high school, Buzzy Watkins. He said that uh, Rodney was doing some of my jokes. <laughs> well, Buzzy. <laughs> I think I have to sit you down. Uh, <laughs> but me and my friend Jim Madden still laugh at that. Because he, he called me literally, my friend Jim Madden, three weeks ago, he calls me, he goes, Todd, you're not going to fucking believe who I'm standing behind at the Wawa, which is like mm -hmm. a 7-Eleven, yeah. but, but a billion times better. Um, excuse me for any of our Philadelphia <laughs> listeners. How dare I compare 7-Eleven to Wawa? Maybe the building looks the same. Um, and he goes, Buzzy fucking Watkins. <laughs> like, you got it. Go say hi to him. Uh, but uh, 
uh, you asked me, oh, yeah, the first time on stage. Mm-hmm. And, and then I eventually went, the first time I chickened out, uh-huh. I, draw, I went down with all my friends, yeah. and I, I said, there's a 99% chance I'm going to go up. Yeah. Go, Are you going to go up? I go, 99%. And then I didn't go up. They yeah. go, you said there was a 99% chance. I go, I know. It was the 1%. I didn't go. <laughs> I, I can't believe they didn't see my out. Right. So anyway, I went up. The th- I went up like the third time. I finally went down uh-huh. and I went up. Yeah. I was nervous mm-hmm. as, you know, really nervous. I had, you know, some notes. I brought them out. I put them on the stool. Big red magic marker. You know, black and mm-hmm. just very big. And um, I did really well. Really? Which is the story a lot of comedians tell. Not yeah. everyone, but a lot of them, the okay. first time they did well. I don't even know what it is. I was yeah. trying to figure it out. Maybe there's a, ni- a ni- naivete. Naive, yeah, whatever that word is. <laughs> um, naivety? Naivete. Yeah, a nativity scene. Whatever. It's a nativity, a nativity scene. scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, but the second time I did horrible. Yeah. But I did it. Yeah. I, that's what I always tell people now. If you yeah. want to do it, just fucking do it. Sure. Don't worry about anything sure. else. I did it. And then, you know, it's. It, after that, I did it every week, every single week. Yeah, I went down Shit. and I loved it. Life yeah. got really good for me. Yeah, uh, I didn't do really well in school and really bad. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, about eleventh and twelfth grade, I started having some friends, but overall, I didn't. But this okay. was my thing. Like yeah. I bonded. I wasn't nervous meeting the other comedians. Yeah. Some were my age, some were older, but I loved it. I loved it, and just hanging out with comedians, going out afterwards, and meanwhile, I'm like. 16 years old. I look like I'm 23, uh-huh. 25 maybe. Yeah. So I never got carded. I go out everywhere with everybody. Yeah. And um, I loved it. I That's just awesome. fucking loved it. And it was the best thing in the world. To find that core place where you know you belong. That early. 16? That's that's fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> it probably came from, you know, not doing very well in school, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which you'll be able to read about in my new book, Produce. Produce. Do they produce books? Uh, whatever by Simon and Schuster. But um, I, uh, yeah, I did. We, I did very poorly in school. It was very hard okay. for me. I had dyslexia back then. Okay. They didn't really understand what that was. Sure. So it was like, where do we put them? A lot of different schools trying yeah. a lot of different things. So when I found this uh, before that, I thought, what else am I going to do? I thought I was going to do landscaping. I really liked landscaping. Mm-hmm. And then I, my friend Albert Halavatsky, um told me about this comedy club. Yeah, and there weren't comedy clubs in every city then. Right, right, So he was right, like, right. there's this place, and you go down. I, didn't, I thought it was like college students telling yeah. jokes. I didn't really get it. And at that point, like, that's, you know, then I saw all these great comedians, Shit. like Tim Allen, Roseanne Barr, yeah. Stephen Wright. God. Um, just, you know, just a shit ton of great comedians. Yeah. And um, uh, what did you ask me? You asked me the first time on stage. Right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, was yeah. It. That, was, that was it. That was it. Went down there, performed, and never stopped. Just kept doing it and doing it and that's doing it. That's insane. I mean, I remember one time the doorman Tony Molino. He said, "The big deal then was to get a weekend." Okay. And the weekend just meant you know you open the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people go, "Oh, it's the MC." Yeah, the MC. He's a stand-up comic. He opens the show with maybe ten minutes, mm-hmm. brings up the middle, who does you know? I, I think you know all this. Twenty-five, Not and then lot. maybe the headliner doesn't. This happen. is a lot of this is new for me. Honestly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do stand-up, so that that's most of them. And um, so you know. It was a big deal to get a weekend. That yeah. was the big deal. Open mic night, or then you get a weekend. You host the weekend yeah. show. You know, uh, open mic night was usually thirty people. Okay. You know, and weekends were three hundred. It would be packed Fuck. in there, and you'd do two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, he goes, I think you're going to get a weekend. And I specifically remember thinking, and it was very kind and I really liked him. Don't take mm-hmm. this the wrong way. But it was my own insecurity, not making fun of him. I thought, I wish he knew what he was fucking talking about. <laughs> he was so positive I was going to get a weekend. Yeah. But I did get a weekend. And, uh, and that was, my first weekend was opening for Jay Leno. Fuck. It was Jay Leno. And then the weekend after I got it, he goes, you want to host next weekend? And then, it, and then there was a guy by the name. He was probably about twenty-one years old. His name was Tom. His his name still is Tom Wilson. And uh, he, uh, you know, it, it, when someone's done, like I always say this when I reference Tom, because mm-hmm. for people that don't know Tom Wilson, Tom's like one of these guys, like a lot of actors, mm-hmm. done, always working. Yeah. Once you know who he is, you're like, oh, there's Tom. Sure. There's Tom. There's Tom. Sure. Over the last thirty years, but most people know him because he played the role of Biff in sure. Back to the Future. Sure. And uh, we loved Tom Wilson. We yeah. were young. I mean, he wasn't that much older than us. Okay, right. But we would go down and see him, and he would perform. He was there almost every week too, and uh-huh. it was it was all good. To, all good. Is it is that the first time? Sorry, now I'm getting away from my mic. Is that the first time you made friends over comedy, or did you, as a kid, ever like? No, not really. You know, not really. That was it. That was just just that's all it took was yeah. having that bond. Like for me, that was sports. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times kids can bond through sports. Yeah. I wasn't very good at sports, mm-hmm. but you know that stand-up comedy, meeting all my friends, and you know some people I still know. Sure, you know, and, and you know, I, I, you know that's why I always say like whenever you do, start out, hang out with the positive people. Sure, because very early on, there's two groups. <laughs> very early on, you know, there's guys that've been doing comedy for five months, and they'll tell you what they deserve yeah. and what they should. Hang out with the supportive group. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess it's you know, the thing is I say doing that, but if you're a negative person, you're not going to consider the others supportive. Right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so That's I, true. all I can say is if, if, you, if you are aware of it, try to hang out with the supportive group because it's, you get so much more done instead right. of, you know, you know, complaining about, you know, what you should have had and what right. you deserve. Yeah. Do you – what do you think it is that, that keeps uh, people – going uh if it, like you said there's the two groups there's kind of what i like to call the tears of tears of a clown comedian the guys who i just can't handle i know a lot of genius brilliant people who are just so dark or want to be dark want people to think they're dark and then there you've got the like you said there's the positive group what keeps both groups going though because obviously we've got plenty of successful people on both sides is it just tenacity well you know the thing is you can be dark and still positive yeah i hope i'm answering your question i right. think you are like good. i don't mean in their act Right. You can have a dark, twisted act, but mm-hmm. off stage, mm-hmm. you meet someone, you go, they're, they're, sure. They're, they're decent. They're not negative to be around. They're a positive mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Even though in their act, they might complain. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean, because some of these guys that were negative on stage, they weren't negative at all. They mm-hmm. tried to do this. But the point was just off stage. Uh, but I don't know what keeps, you know, I, I, I re explain your question. Well, it was a bad question. It's okay. It was a very generic question. It was a question. question. I don't want to say it. Was, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you. Question. Thank you for helping me. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's just there's got to be a through line. So I feel like for most for, <laughs> yeah, for most stand-ups, for any kind of a comedian, uh, because we've all got the, our own approach to the world of comedy. Whatever, like I said, there's there's people who hate themselves, people who are okay with themselves, and people who love themselves. And I just wonder if it's just simple tenacity, just keeping doing, and just getting better at what they push out to the audience rather than who they are behind the scenes. Yeah, I think it's just doing it and doing it and doing it. Yeah. You know, like anything. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I, I it's just the I always I I came up with this theory the other day. I think comedy is sort of like sex in a way. Mm-hmm. Because if you didn't have an un 
uncontrollable desire, mm. crazy burning desire to have sex, you would never have sex. Right. Because it is so embarrassing. I mean, think yes. about it. Yes. The desire, then people go, well, how embarrassing? No, no, no. With the desire there, it throws a lot of the embarrassment yeah, away. Absolutely. Some of it. It yeah. still can be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, but, but if with no desire. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you take off your clothes, sitting. It's, it's. You're like, oh my god, this uh, is fucking. I have to strip down and literally take off my clothes. It's not like, oh, you go up in front of an audience, you're bare in your soul. No, yeah, right. You're stripping down and getting in bed with somebody, right. and it's like, this is can't be any more embarrassing. <laughs> but because of the desires there, you go fuck it and you do it. Of course, and that's how stand up is. I don't think if you don't have a burning desire to yeah, do it, yeah. you're gonna, you know, you're gonna. Make it happen. Yeah, you know? you're just gonna go. It's it's just too scary. But if you if the desire's there, you just plow sure. past it. I, I it is funny though when I hear people say, you know, I think I should try stand up. I think I should try is much different from what you're talking about. Yeah, you I mean, know? a lot of people. I try to give, well, sometimes if I think someone's funny, I try to give them a push. Yeah, but I realize after one push because I I have a pretty pretty you know like a 60 second rant mm-hmm. or you know to them like dude you know i think and sometimes you go back a year later and they'll be like hey, i started doing it there's still a waiter or waitress at the club mm-hmm. I, how many times i get on stage every week at least two times you're like oh that push helped yeah, yeah. sometimes i'm thinking hey, thinking about it stop it already right. you know right. and i know what that's like i talk sure. about that with other things in my life you mm-hmm. know i'm gonna watch my diet a little more i'm gonna yeah. do but you know you just gotta you just gotta do it i think with what if I'm not sidetracking too mm, much, fine. and this would be apropos to anybody in starting anything alternative, whether it's photography or whether it's music, and and you know I like to be supportive and and uh, and someone that's meant to do it. If you can help, give them that sort of that push. Yeah, uh, I think the reason, and a lot, and especially when kids are younger, they got to deal with their parents. Yeah. I think the reason they're nervous a lot to, if their kids want to get into music or if they want to get into. <laughs> A comedy because they don't understand that there are in betweens. And by the way, sure. I am by no means excluding huge success. Right, that happens too sure. a decent amount. Uh, you know, in comedy, let's say you know Will Farrell success. Yeah. There's a good chance that could happen too. I don't want to go into this making it sound like I'm like, well, you might never be Will Farrell. You fucking might be that big. Right, right. But there's in betweens. Of course. And a lot of parents don't know that like. In music, the same thing. Like, yeah. you might not end up that level of success. But I know a lot of people, no one's ever heard them. You go, hey, what does blah, blah, blah do? Oh, they're the head writer on Jimmy Kimmel mm-hmm. making a, a, a an ungodly amount yeah. of money. Or, yeah. oh, they've been show running uh, 30 Rock. Right. You know, the show yeah. runner for 30 Rock. No one heard of them. But they started in stand-up. Or right. they punch right for this show. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go at it. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking do the same thing with music. Maybe mm-hmm. you didn't end up a household name, but you make a living. You know, maybe you produce music on the side. Maybe you yeah. uh, you score music for movies. Whatever you end up doing, I think the odds of it being successful are the same as if you you know. No one ever has a backup plan when they want to be a lawyer, sure. Because parents understand that. Yeah. yeah. You know, then no one ever goes, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? Right. You, what right. if you went to your parents and they're putting you through law school and you went, Mom, Dad, I think I should maybe do – what should I do like on the side in case <laughs> in case my I don't get my law – my you know being a lawyer doesn't work out or being a doctor doesn't work out or being an accountant doesn't work out? Yeah. Should I get something – no, with that, they're not thinking about no, it. And not. I get why because they think, well, that's different. Right. It feels inherently secure. Yeah, but it's you can be just as successful in other things right. even if it's not – you know the the notoriety of the, you know when you walk down and the that's street. that's the problem with, that people get sucked into and I found myself doing that here in LA after ten years is is you know you 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 are you do maybe assume that because people don't know who you are immediately that maybe you're not doing as well as you could be but like you say the plugging away making it like just 
at ground level is okay, and I think most people don't realize that. Yeah, and making a good living, too. Yeah, exactly. We're not talking about scraping by. Right. I know a lot of guys are doing, Yeah. you know, I know guys, even the the whole podcast thing, you mm-hmm. know, like I know guys paying their mortgage, and right. you never heard of their podcast. It's that it's very small, but they're yeah. doing all right, and they're, so you just, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the, um, uh, out, out of curiosity, the uh, you do pretty a lot of your impressions are pretty solid. Is that something you practice or just something that came with listening to this stuff a lot? Well, you know, I, I don't do it's like my, sometimes my someone will ask me, why don't you do impersonations in your act? I, yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I like they're okay to <laughs> like, you know, dabble into in my mm-hmm. act. Like yeah. sometimes if, you know, I can do like, you know, hey, I'll tell you, you know, it's all right, you know, <laughs> uh, but I can, I can't really, I, you know, if I'm going to do impersonations, I'd want to be like James, mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. A, I have a hard time with everybody's name. James Adobian. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, probably said it wrong. Uh, where you're doing unique, different oh, impersonations. God. His voices are insane. Yeah, they're insane. crazy. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, what he does to the inner circle, the, mm-hmm. the comedians, like being able to do like Mark Maron and, right. and Louis C.K. And, and, and all those guys. And But then, you know, doing other people, he thought, fuck. So mm-hmm. I, if I was going to do impersonations, you know, but so I can just do like, you know, uh, of course I've heard enough people, uh, you know, you know who you know who you're doing a good job if someone knows who you're doing and you didn't say anything. Right. You know who that is? Yeah, it's Regis Philbin. There you it's go. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, but of course it was a lot of fun and we went down there and uh, good times, of course. <laughs> <laughs> someone told me that the way you do, I think Norm Macdonald told me the way you do a good Regis is. He always apologizes because he, he – his version of it is uh-huh. he makes a sarcastic joke. Then he looks out and sees middle, you know, the housewives who might not get the sarcasm mm-hmm. maybe. So he always – he'll be like this. Of course, we went out with uh, – with, um, give, me, give me a person he might go out with. Uh, <laughs> uh, David Letterman. Don, yeah, we went out, of course, with David Letterman. Of course, God forbid he pick up the bill. No, of course, I kid, and uh, we had a good time with him and his wife. It's always like, yeah, yeah. it'll be like, yeah. I went out with Don Rickles, he wouldn't, the guy wouldn't shut up. We couldn't get a word in edgewise, but no, of course, him and his lovely wife, Barbara, we had a, they're always good to see. And, yeah. Yeah, I, it is, it is, uh, I just, I find that's, because uh, I don't do impressions professionally or anything, I do them on occasion, I do them in shows, but um, I, I'm always curious where people get that from. If it's just a tick or not, because for me it was. Yeah, because like I can't listen to music without singing in the same accent as the singer. You know, if I sing back, like I can't do it any other way. Some people just got that. It, it, you know, it's funny you say that because I never really thought about it that much. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I think you're right. I think you can learn like me to do a few of the easier ones. Mm-hmm. But to do them, it's like it's like a, it's like an ear. You're like mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. Like you know, I used to think for a while. Oh, you can't really do impersonations anymore. That's why there's not as many impersonators because old days, people were more characters. Like in my parents' time, like mm-hmm. Clark Gable. Yeah. You know, I'm Clark. Well, if, uh, you know, I'm uh, talk like this, Jack. You know, all those yeah, yeah, over yeah. the top, hey, you know, it's he, Jack. You know, listen here, you know, uh, Ralph Cramden or mm-hmm. whatever. They were just so, I'm not even doing those good, but you it's get right. what I mean. I, yeah. Well, now actors aren't like that. They're not, you know, they're not so, they're not larger than life like right. that, uh, all right. of them. So I thought that's why, but then some new, some someone like James comes along and fuck. and does some. Or I heard a comedian do Charlie Rose. I think it really? might have been James. I'm like, how the fuck is he? Go- yeah, that sounds like Charlie. How do you do that? How did he get Charlie Rose? Yeah. How, can, how can you imitate him? He's not that, but uh, he, he did it. Yeah, oh, also- when people do uh, Bill Maher, yeah, like, that seems like not you know you know. But uh, watching someone do Bill Maher for the first time, I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. You right. got to really fucking find it. Though, yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyway, this is. 
I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, let's. You want to talk about Rodney for a second, just because? Again, did you ever meet him? I did. Yeah, I did meet Rodney, and uh, my fr- I had a friend who was a, a comedian by the name of Bob Nelson, mm-hmm. who was opening up for Rodney a lot, and uh, I went to forget where we were somewhere in. It was always oh, here in Los Angeles. Bob had come out here to Los Angeles. Oh. I had already moved here. I was probably about like twenty three at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got backstage, and 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 uh, Bob goes, "It's such a weird story, but it's just vintage Rodney to me." Uh, Bob goes, "Hey, this is uh, Todd. He's from Philadelphia, Rodney." He goes, oh, "That's good. Philadelphia needs him." <laughs> he was nice, but then I walked away, and I we we cracked up laughing, and then I walked away. I go, "What did he mean by that?" It didn't matter because he's, he's so large. <laughs> Philadelphia needs him. All right, all right. Good to see you. Um, but the thing that I think about meeting Rodney, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this explains it. Okay, you can't meet Homer Simpson, and you can't meet Peter uh, from Family Guy. Oh, yeah, right. Peter Griffin. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't meet them. They're cartoon characters. Right. And you really shouldn't get to meet Rodney either because he is a larger-than-life cartoon character. Yeah. Is, you know, it's, I'm, I'm complimenting him. It's sure, just, sure, sure. It's just larger-than-life when you see Rodney on TV with the red tie and mm-hmm. the, hey, you know, it's all right. And then, like, you don't get to meet that person. Right. You see Jerry Seinfeld, you'd be nervous to meet him. You'd like them or Gary Shandling. Yeah. But, you know, they don't. But Rodney? Yeah. And then there he fucking is yeah. standing in the room looking like Rodney. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. God, it's like meeting Fred Flintstone. Like yeah. you get to wait. I, I, Fred, I'm meeting Fred Flintstone. He's gonna shake my hand, and that's what it was like meeting Rodney. Yeah. It was just and and um for what it's worth, I always love. This is my one of my favorite Rodney stories. So subtle, but it's just like again vintage, vintage Rodney. Somebody, uh, a comedian friend of mine, was telling me that they were hanging out with him uh, in Vegas, which is funny because I'll sidetrack here for a second. I had one other experience hanging out with Rodney. Mm-hmm. And he was gambling with Bob at uh-huh. the table, and people were, you know, eventually getting a little bit around him a little more than probably comfortable. And he was nice. He threw them something. Hey, all right, you know, I'm losing here, all right? And, <laughs> but then eventually they, you know, they kept coming. And he's like, all right, it's all nothing to see. He yeah. goes, you're doing all right? You do Throw a little love, and hopefully maybe they would, that group sure. would pass, and maybe a new group wouldn't reassemble so quickly. Uh-huh. So they didn't, and all of a sudden Rodney goes, "All right, everybody, thanks for ruining a good fucking time." <laughs> like, Jesus Christ! Now, like I don't know, he didn't say that, so everybody heard it, <clears throat> right. but a, a few people heard it. That's fucking. Great. But the other one was a friend of mine. I told a comedian that story. They said one time in Vegas, they were hanging out with him, and a couple came over, a woman and a man, and they mm-hmm. go, "The woman goes, Rodney, we just got married. What do you think?" He goes, "Uh, you both could have done better." <laughs> I just picture them walking away. Wait, was that an insult? Yeah, I, honey, I think it means we're both ugly. Or whatever it meant. Holy shit. Anyway. Those personal I mean, maybe the personalities exist now, but I don't think so much. Not in the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's just different. It just <clears throat> changes, you know. Mm-hmm. Comedy is, uh, you know, I always say this. I don't want to turn into that person that goes... I, I just have a disdain for comedians when they talk about how good it used sure, to be. And sure. by the way, a lot of them don't. Yeah. I remember once hearing Alan King say something, and he goes, oh, there's good comedy and bad comedy, and there always will be. Yeah. Uh, in my generation, you know, like a lot, a lot of the misinformation is, oh, they're all dirty today. Right. When's right. the last time you went to a fucking club, if you say that? Right. Some are, some aren't. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, uh, so there's always going to be, you know, great comedians, yeah. and there's always going to... Matter of fact, we're living it right now. We're in a great period for comedy. Yeah. So many new great comedians and... Uh, 
I think I think now's an exciting time to be a part of stand-up comedy. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Do you happen to know or have a theory as to what's brought this kind of back to a boom? I mean, I know podcasting is definitely helping. Well, that social media, and then you know, like the thing is, like even though everyone talks about, and I think, um, you know, Middle America, however you want to say it, has a concept that comedy sort of in '94, '95 started falling apart a little. Yeah. All that happened then, at least my opinion is, and I think I'm right, there was an oversaturation of comedy clubs. Sure. You know, a, a place like Chicago had six, seven comedy yeah, clubs, yeah, as, yeah. You, as you know, because you're from there. And But the truth of the matter is, most of the clubs that knew what they were doing yeah. are still open. Sure. I, I would say 95% of the clubs mm-hmm. that were successful, I mean, that knew what they were doing and successful, mm-hmm. are still open. Yeah. Uh, and then they started shutting down some of the clubs because they, you know, the, the comedy had just been so oversaturated that it, some of them, but not every club. The, the, Chicago still had two, three clubs. That's mm-hmm. enough. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, and and when, you, when you own a comedy club, if you just understand an era of comedy, mm-hmm. you're going to go out under because yeah. that style changes. And you, you grow if you know. Like when there's – like for instance, maybe the Minneapolis uh, Acme Comedy Club. Uh-huh. Uh, he's still in business because he understands that you, you – don't, you don't try to just please your audience that you had. Then they turn 50 and you just try to keep giving them the comedy that right. 50-year-olds like because they get set in their ways. Sure. So you have to just keep keeping an open ear for new younger comedians and different and keep your – it's just like with music. Yeah. You know, your music venue can be open for a long time if you understand music and keep growing and sure. learning and educating yourself. Yeah. So comedy is going to be around forever. Of course. You know, that's why when people go, you think comedy, what do you, if, if, you end, if you went up to somebody and goes, you think music's going to be around in 25 years? <laughs> yes. Right. So all that happened, it got oversaturated. It's very simple. And some of the shit clubs started to close down. Yeah. Maybe did some great clubs that had a great owner, mm-hmm. really understood comedy, uh, clothes. Hey, look, maybe, I'm sure, but not that many. Yeah. Not that many. All the good ones are still opened. When you were first realizing that comedy – would you actually, no, when, when did you first realize comedy was a thing for you? Why, why, what, why did you gravitate toward it? Well, I so liked probably. it, you know, very young, watching them on, like, you know, all the talk shows sure. at night – Always want to watch them on uh, the the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I you know just stay up to watch the stand up comedian. Yeah. My my parents would let me sometimes. So and just for me, you know, like I said, my friend Albert Albert Nalabotsky, you know, went to the club, didn't even understand it. Landscaping was what I was going to do. I was going to graduate landscape. And when I say, excuse me, when I say landscape, it basically meant I would have had a you know been the foreman. You know, I'm not even joking. Even yeah. when I was 16 and mm-hmm. thinking about it, that was my, in my head. That's what I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right. I would have like a few people with me. And that's I would impressive. like, because all I saw were the seasoned guys that got to do that because they were older now. Yeah. I didn't get yeah. that. I might have to work a little in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I would just see like, you know, the, a guy who owns a conglomerate landscaping company out mm-hmm. there with some work boots on. But they're not that dirty. <laughs> Pulls up in a polished, you know, maybe SUV. Yeah, you know, he yeah. parks on the site. I thought, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll be that guy, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so went down there to see the show at the comedy works. And, uh, I, I know I, I've told this before that I know when I fell in love with that scene, uh, before the show, they went, ladies and gentlemen, we are about five minutes from showtime. We do have a quick announcement. If there's a Mr. and Mrs. B 
Burke here, Mr. and Mrs. Burke. Please call your babysitter as soon as you can. She wants to know where you keep the fire extinguisher. <laughs> Other than that, everything's fine. Five minutes to showtime. And I fucking loved it. Shit. I was like, that made me laugh so hard. I was like, get out a napkin. I wanted to write it down so I'd remember it. And then I went every week, every single week. And that's when I... I don't know at the time if you knew it, but I. But in hindsight, there's no doubt about it that yeah. I just loved it yeah. and still do. Yeah, still do. Some of my friends ask me, and I don't know if you know. They're like, "Do you still love it?" I'm like, "I hope it doesn't sound too maudlin." Is mm-hmm. that the word? Yeah. I I fucking love it. Yeah. I love it. The only thing I've loved more than stand up is, uh, or as much is doing the podcast. Yeah. Uh, wow. Be, it's just it's just as exciting and and fun, and it's more mm-hmm. personal. Uh, you know that's what's so special about sure, it. It's very sure, personal. Sure. Uh, what's has uh, since you started stand up? Do you feel more freedom to in in your material, or have you never catered it too much to the audience? No, I always one of my worst habits was. You know, the thing is, you can you have. To, I, I go into it saying this. Look, I'm into respecting audiences. They mm-hmm. deserve to be respected. Sure, sure. I don't want to be the other extreme either. A guy who doesn't give a shit and thinks it's funny to bomb. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite comedians that I hold. Dearly, have they, have we, uh, me, or have they ever done that? Like, just been pissed at the some of the audience and just fucking, you know, you just want to, you want to, you know, fight them. And yeah. yes, but at the end of the day, I want to have a respect for an audience. Yeah. They come out, they pay a hard earned money to see a show. But one of my biggest habits was that when it wasn't going right for me, I would try to please what, what's this audience want? Yeah. And that's, That'll give you short-term success of that night. Yeah, you will. In a night when they're not all buying me, if I can go to some of my older generic material, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not trying to claim that I'm so edgy now, but you know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. more easily digested, which is usually going back to your older material sure. because when you start comedy – so for me, it was going back sometimes doing jokes from 15 years ago sure. that I hated now because they're just too – do you ever notice when your deodorant runs out? Mm-hmm. When I went to that, my friends mm-hmm. were in the back of the room. Todd's having a tough time. Yeah. So I would go to that. And yeah, you know what? There was an – Absolutely, on that stage that night, started to do better. Yeah. Matter of fact, I bet people were going, "Oh, now the guy's getting funny." <laughs> but that that all that leads to is doing better that night. Yeah. Long term, nothing. Sure. You, sure. You know. So that was my worst habit. Always was just you know figuring out what the collective audience wants, and mm-hmm. now I try to stick to what I think is funny. And if it's not going over well. That doesn't mean I'm going to be a dick about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll move something. Maybe I'll, uh, I won't get so silly up front and I'll do a little material first. But it's got to be material I like. Mm-hmm. You don't owe it to the audience sure. to start doing shit you don't like. Right. You don't, right. and, and you shouldn't do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's torturous. Yeah. Do you, um, do you picture it in your head? Do you picture like the, the set that you're going to do? Do you write it out? Or is it just come naturally? You just, you've just you tested it, tested it, thought about it enough. You I know mean, how to do it. I have a little bit of a, you know, when I go, everybody does it different. I, I have a little bit of an, you know, an agenda. You know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I, I do, uh, like if I have six or seven new things I want to do, mm-hmm. I'll write it out on like a, a piece of paper, usually pretty big lettering. Because mm-hmm. I don't mind like if I'm doing a coffee house picking up a piece of paper and looking at it. Even there, I don't want to pick it up and stare at it for 20 minutes. Like, sure, sure, sure. pick it up, get another bit, do another five minutes. Look mm-hmm. at, but at a, when you're doing, like, you know, week-long shows at a comedy club and they're paying 20 bucks to get in, I'll still write it on the stool. Yeah. You know, go over, get a drink of water, I glance down at something. Yeah. So that's sort of, I have an agenda in my head and then I have the new things that I want to talk about written on the stool yeah. and sort of weave them in throughout the whole thing. Since your interest in comedy really did get started at, 
in stand-up, like literally just watching a bunch of stand-ups, wanting to do stand-up. You talked about before we did the podcast, you said you didn't maybe buy a whole lot of comedy albums, which is cool. So for you, has that ever, has it just mattered for you just to see as much live comedy as possible? I mean, is that just still as dear to you or is it? Yeah, that's a good question. I still really do love seeing good stand-up comedy. Uh, Like if if I'm going to go in town here at L.A., obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many great venues, you know. Uh, the Meltdown over mm-hmm. on Melrose, which is like, you know, you see a new great comedian, some you've never seen, or some I have seen. But yeah, if I'm doing like Sarah Silverman and Friends at mm-hmm. the uh, at the at the Carnet Theater, and I can go, you know, sit in the crowd a little bit and watch Tig or watch uh, Zach go up or mm-hmm. whoever's on the show that night, uh, to watch Paul F. Tompkins for me is uh, Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love it. Yeah. I still love it. I mean, you know, I get a, you know, I, look, I'll get a Lancey, I'll go outside, but I'll come back in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I tour with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on a tour right now uh, doing a lot of Louis C.K. dates. And yeah. I would say mm, 75% of the shows I, I'm, I sit in the crowd and watch. Yeah. I like to watch how it's a little different. I like to watch yeah. the crowd. But yeah, I'd say about 70, 75% of the time, eh. And the other times I'm backstage jamming food in my face but uh, so yeah i still love watching stand-up comedy does it help you watching other people evolve their acts um it can make you jealous you know that they're (laughs) they they have more you know they're working harder than you maybe but uh it it motivates you you Mm -hmm. know i get it why certain guys don't too Mm -hmm. because it can get into your you know like it's hard i uh now i don't have you know what i think it's harder when you don't have your own voice yeah. Or what your neuroses are. Now I've been doing stand-up long enough. I think I understand, you know, what my neuroses are, what I like to talk about, or what makes me tick. I, yeah. I hate to say voice; it sounds so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's not as hard, like because I'm a huge. I mean, I I don't think I go one interview without saying it. But like for me to be able to watch uh, uh, Brian Regan mm-hmm. is just, you know, just. Loving it. Matter of fact, when I was in San Francisco, I was opening up for Jim Gaffigan. I'm not, when I'm opening up for Jim, I'll sit in the crowd a lot. Yeah. Go find, go into the back of the theater, watch his show for, you know, watch the show. But for Brian, I went and, and you know, walked in, got a table with me and some other people that work on my podcast mm-hmm. and watched his whole show. I didn't go anywhere I yeah. just, and loved it. You know, yeah. it was just great. So I, yeah, I think your question was, do I still like watching stand up? Was it? Yeah, I mean, is it is that? I mean, that this seems to be that might be a strong replacement for carrying around a bunch of albums. Uh, and and <laughs> well, and now, but it's funny you say that because now I do like to go back and listen to old albums sure. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now I do that a lot. Like yeah. my friend Daniel Kino, who travels, uh, he'll do like you know, uh, he'll do you know, road dates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, He's, you know, I, I'm. He's better at like searching on YouTube. I'll be like, oh, you gotta watch this clip. So now, like, I'll tell you what. Like, I was never. Now, I didn't not like him. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't aware. Everyone talked about Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, sure. And I never thought anything. I was just like, oh, never really that. Yeah. And, and I knew he was a respected comedian. Of course. So yeah. I knew he had to be brilliant mm-hmm. uh, because too many people that I knew that were brilliant yeah. always referenced him. But it wasn't something that was ever in my. I never watched it growing up. Right. But recently, yeah. Now I'm like, oh my fucking god! What did I miss? There's like, one. It, it, he's doing like what he's doing, sort of what's popular right now, yeah. just talking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it got a little. Hey, everything goes through phases. It'll yeah. it'll swing around again, but whatever. You know, sure. it's all good. It all changes, and it comes back sometimes, just like fashion. It yeah. makes its way back. Um, but uh, watching him talk to that crowd and and do his show, I was like, yeah. and then listening. 
sometimes we're not even there's no visual yeah. if we're just listening to an old CD yeah and listening to old records yeah uh, like from um, uh, Bob Newhart or oh, or um, or uh, who we just mentioned uh, Richard Pryor yeah, yeah. Uh, Got me loving little rooms about yeah. ten years ago, okay. uh, cause I could hear it like, oh, that uh, you know, how many are in that room? Right. And it's probably, and some people that know a lot about standup or we YouTube if that room's still there, or how mm-hmm. big was that room? eighty people, right seventy, right, fifty just squeezed into this yeah. little room. And ever since that, that was about ten years ago when I was jumping around on mm-hmm. YouTube looking at old stuff like that. Uh, I've been whenever I can. Take a week. At, and look, I'm not acting like I play theaters, but, right. you know, the average size of the room I play is about, you know, 300-seat, 400-seat comedy sure, club. Sure, sure, sure. But, like, when I can get to the uh, Laughing Skull in Atlanta, that's uh-huh. a 75-seat room. Really? It's just magical. Yeah. It's just magical. Does, it, do any, does anybody do albums in a room that small anymore? Well, Paul F. Tompkins did his DVD. In the Laughing Skull, okay, and uh, I, and uh, I had always wanted to do it. That's why someone said, "Oh, Paul F. Tompkins did his The Laughing Skull." Yeah. And I was like, "I love that he did that." Yeah. My, my, you know, to me, my ultimate DVD or special would be. I just did a special of those on Netflix, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do it this way. Yeah, but my manager was like, "Just do it, you, you know, in a big room, so when people are flipping around, it, you know." Then when you have some notoriety, you can do this and it'll be sort of cool. But I want to do it in a room literally that holds like 50 people. Yeah. But it's like every – and I don't care if people dress up at my show just yeah. for this. I want people to be comfortable. Yeah. People always go back then. People dressed up. And I'm like, yeah, I get what you mean, but it sucked too. Yeah. Dressing up sucks. <laughs> yes. But just for this, it would look really cool yeah. if everyone sort of dressed up. 50 people. There's like a shot of the maitre d' mm-hmm. seating people. Like it's 50 people, but it's fucking run like Taj Mahal. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like right. ladies and gentlemen, and there's like maybe a three-piece band squeezed into the corner with mm-hmm. a red spotlight on them. Tonight, live. And the room goes black and you hear the drum go. Gump. It's black for about 10 seconds or five you know, ladies and gentlemen, and then the drum, and then they go, please welcome, and a spotlight hits the stage, and it's just 50 people. That's the look I want to go for. But yeah. in this very posh, it's yeah. not 50 people because it's a shithole. Right. It's 50 people, and it's like New York City, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a treat to be able to get into that room tonight. That's awesome. That's, that's my ultimate goal to do an hour special. That'd like be that. amazing. Yeah, That'd be so I think it would be really cool. Is that is that is that the kind of thing in your position you can kind of just take control of and just make that happen yourself if you really wanted to? Just fucking put it together. Well, I could shoot a DVD yeah. like that, and I tried to do it once at the uh, at a club, and it just you know without boring you, uh, <laughs> it, it just didn't happen because some of the footage and okay. some yeah. different things. But uh, but yes, I could. I hope my next time around, I. Uh, you know, when it's time for me to do that, mm-hmm. I'll be at a different place in my career mm. where I can, you know, go to Comedy Central and say, hey, here's my idea. You know, the tour bus, it pulls up out front, you know, mm-hmm. and you hear the air brakes. And then inside they cut to, ladies and gentlemen, I leave the, not not overdone, like right, right, right. security around me. I'm just, <laughs> you know, you just, you're, that's what you're in. You're on the tour bus. You walk out of the tour bus. You mm-hmm. go inside and then they introduce you. Just like, that's the vibe. Yeah. Go to Comedy Central or something like that and pitch it. That would be like, you yeah. know, my, my, uh. Really well, that's what helps those specials so much. I mean, it's the, the one thing that you have in addition. You know, when it used to just be comedy albums, all you needed was here's blah, blah, blah. They do their comedy. They're out. It, you know, to think visually now, I guess you absolutely have to, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean you could, we still do put out CDs. Sure. I mean, I just put out – oh, yeah, I guess that was Thin Pig. That was about two years ago. I uh-huh. did it at the – 
you know, I'm so obsessed with George Carlin that I started nicknaming these rooms George, like the the Tempe Improv had their it was the Tempe Improv, mm-hmm. but they opened up like a little room on the side, uh-huh. you know, like eighty people, yeah. And I called it the George Carlin room, uh-huh. and then the Tempe Improv went through some changes, and then there's a room in Philadelphia called PJ Ryan's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a restaurant, and downstairs it's like you know they do a lot of different things in their lower level, mm-hmm. holds about seventy people, yeah. And I created my own perfect comedy club there. That's awesome. Everything. And uh, I call that the George Carlin Room now. So that's the George Carlin Room. It exists at PJ Ryan's in Phoenixville. That's great. Holy so. cow. Um, if, uh, well, so I'm trying to, shit, my memory is horrible, so I can't remember which album Seven uh, Words is. But, I mean, if you know, let's just generally talk about him. If, if you're going to tell somebody who's not familiar with comedy that much, who somehow has never heard George Carlin, tell them why they should. What's so important about listening to that guy? Uh, I mean, you ju- you just hear someone, you know, just breaking things down in a way like nobody else can, and just you know, the, I love when he just like goes in for it. He you know he puts a lot of work mm-hmm. into his into his. It's not my style. Mm-hmm. Every word you know, and he just goes in. It's like boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, and. And the, and the seven words, which I can't even, you would think I would remember them. I don't. But mm-hmm. what I do remember after he died was there were more words that people used yep. to be offended. Mm-hmm. Now, for what it's worth, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent, um, people can be justifiably offended mm-hmm. or they can be unjustifiably offended. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very important to understand. And sometimes people, you know, George Carlin isn't around anymore to go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Yeah. Uh, George Carlin, I think when he made fun of people that got, oh, I'm offended. <laughs> Fuck you. But I don't always feel that way. Uh, people can be offended justifiably. Sure. I, I've said this sure. many times. And I think George Carlin's act showed. Mm-hmm. There might be some things that you might go, oh, well, he did that, Todd, and you, you say. But um, he wasn't a bully. He made fun of what needed to be made fun of. Sure. And, and, and uh, I don't want to be one of those comedians that makes fun of, uh, like, what a bully could make fun yeah, of. Yeah. Like, when there's somebody in the audience. I, I always use this story, and, so, and, and somebody goes, what's your, I say, what's your name? And the mm-hmm. person says, uh, maybe they have a name that's synonymous with a woman's name, you mm-hmm. know? And then somebody will go, I can't believe you didn't make fun of that guy for his name. Like, another comedian, maybe. Right, right. And I'll go, whoa, you mean everything that every fucking idiot did his whole life? I'm supposed to go up there. I don't mind making fun of people. Sure. But I can fucking do better than that. Yeah. I don't have to go in for, you know. So when George Carlin talks about offending people that were offended, Mm -hmm. um, I'm with him there because he was making fun of people that were offended because he said something that didn't agree with what they were talking about. Right, right. But there were more words. When you re-listen to it, to me what was magical is everybody remembers the seven dirty words you can't say. But there was like, I think like, 10, 15 words to describe, I'm offended, I'm appalled, mm-hmm. I'm, you know what he would do with yeah, that yeah, dancing, yeah. he had this <laughs> voice right here, and then, I'm offended, appalled, I'm, and he went through all the words, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that part of it. Holy shit, yeah. It was like that, uh, to me that was amazing, and, mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, I, I think, I think anyone who's never listened to George Carlin, you know, there's people, uh, if you listen to it, I think you'd be like, "Oh man, this is like." And again, if you don't agree with his some of his social, his well, his basically his theory on God, yeah, whether there is or isn't a God, I can't imagine you could. It's hard to get past that. It, yeah, yeah. But but if you felt it already, right, and that's what it was. They, it's sort of everything I thought already. Mm-hmm. You could think of something, but you got to sell your opinions. Yeah, 
And I thought that's what he did great. Yeah. He made it make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not that he was negative. If you say you don't believe in God, it's like you have to tell people, I believe in peace. I believe in love. I believe well, you don't believe there's a greater power. And I think my friend Jen Kirkman said that once. Uh, somebody in AA, they said you have to let it go to a greater power. And they didn't believe in God. And that's okay. They go, what about the ocean? Can you walk out there and push that ocean back? Right. Push it, No, it's a greater power. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. I, I believe in a greater power. Yeah. So he made everything <laughs> made sense. But but yeah. he uh, he broke it down. And, like, you know, there are miracles. I remember him just the sun. He worships the sun. You know, yeah, I yeah, like yeah. that. Because, yeah, the sun is the fucking sun. Think about it. And it shows itself. You don't have to go, I swear to God. It, was, it, it lit up the whole area. And someone goes, well, you have, to, you have to trust me. No, you can walk out every day and look at that fucking sun. That's a goddamn miracle. Mm-hmm. And it shows itself. Yeah. So I'm paraphrasing. But it, when he talked about all his thoughts on religion, yeah. it just, I love the way he it made my head hurt less. Mm-hmm. Because it made it make sense for me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's right. Yeah. He's right. You know, yeah. and I love that. That's all. That's 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 a great way to condense how he makes you feel. That that's fucking yeah, that's good. Do you, um, why don't you just plug away everything? Plug, 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 <laughs> plug, plug. I think they don't they do that on Scott Show Ackerman. Yes, they've always got. I got a song every fucking time. Plug, plug, plug. Todd Glass Show mm-hmm. on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, loving it. Yeah, loving it. Uh, uh, what else? Um, my book coming out on Simon and Schuster probably the end of this summer. Awesome, which has been a challenge. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of the book? Does it? Have I don't have yet? a name yet. Right, I wanted to good. call it. I swear, because he swore to Joe Pesci. I was going to mm-hmm. call it. I swear to George Carlin. But <laughs> I like it. Uh, but uh, and then I uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to say or okay. not allowed to say yet. But I sold okay. a show. Okay. So uh, I'm, and I'm, I guess I really don't have to plug that. Maybe I'm just bragging. That's it. Uh, right. I want to plug the show that I'm writing <laughs> and uh, still torn all over doing stand-up. When's this drop? Um, it's going to be, let's see, not this following week, the week after. Yeah, so I'll probably be uh, back home by then. I had a good time. Let's put it this way. I had a good time in Marco Island, mm-hmm. and then I probably had a good time at Comedy. No, where else am I going this week? I forget. <laughs> where am I? No, no. Oh, at Tacoma Comedy Club. Right. I probably have been to those two places already. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else is good. You get one final... Bonus question. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to give you. you can give me one final bonus question. <laughs> I'm just oh, kidding. Shit. You don't really. Hit Thank me. you, because that's very. That's a lot of pressure. Although, what you are Todd Glass on Twitter, right? Just I am Todd Glass on Todd Twitter. Glass. I don't tweet that much. That's fine. But me and my, me and the, uh, I, I always stop myself from fans because that's just where it sends nausea uh. to me. But I, you know, I don't know why. I think Andy Kindler made fun of that word once, and I decided I would hate it too because I like him so much. Um, but uh, the people that follow me on Twitter, um, uh, they know I don't tweet that much, yeah. but. Uh, I, uh, I I tell you some dates once in a while. I got something funny to say, but uh, I love I love uh, Twitter's been. I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have somebody else on the podcast who's got nothing every once, like, in, a while, every uh, once in a while. Twitter, it's. Hey, uh, I wanted to tie it all up. I had two seconds no. left, uh, and Twitter. You know, it's an amazing thing. The uh, social media. Uh, it's all good. Well, thank you so much for doing this show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Guys, thank you for listening. And One other thing. Yes. I, I know I talked about – I'm always paranoid about this because when I was younger, I used to say, I don't mind if people talk about stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I never did. As long mm-hmm. as they're funny too. Yeah. You know, I never wanted to be like Steve Allen. May he rest in peace. <laughs> 
who all he did was complain how shitty new comedians were. Ah, yeah. And never any signs of him being funny in the present day. And, um, and I don't want to be that way. I am very uh, think there's a, sh- a, a, a shit ton of great new comedians. Yeah. And uh, so when it comes to just talking about comedy, I, I love doing it. I love it. It's cathartic for me yeah. to sit down and talk about this stuff. So um, I had a good time. Thank you. You're I'm welcome. glad. That's good to hear. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, please, obviously, subscribe to Todd's podcast. Uh, somebody out there, please write another fucking review of this podcast that doesn't include complaining about the swears and say something nice. People say, people, people. <laughs> once, uh, once. He's like, I love this show, but they swear too you much. You know what? Can I tell you something? The guy who said, I get it, but you know what? Sometimes that's the way you talk, and don't, it's not, just, just get over it. Mm-hmm. It's like people used to think Elvis's crotch was the problem, remember? He's going to show his crotch <laughs> on television. <laughs> right. He's waving his crotch at everybody, and then in hindsight, you're like, I think we had bigger fish to fry, Seriously. like civil rights and women's <laughs> yeah. rights and gay people's rights, and meanwhile, there were people back in the 50s, and, oh my God, look, <laughs> in hindsight, you're like, yeah. so let go of the cursing, yes, you know what you. I mean? We thank cursed you. about, but we were passionate about right, nice good kind things mm-hmm. so fucking fuckity 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 <laughs> fuckity fuck I can't end it any better than that thank you guys again and, and have a good thing fuck you and fuck me <laughs> the podcast is over asshole <laughs>Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl and Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl. The only thing that kept me afloat was only me coconut.